Well, you'll notice my voice is probably back to 80%. So anyone feeling about 80% today? Less than? <laughs> More than? Good? We're good. Okay, that's awesome. It'll sound good and it'll just cut out at any moment. I cut last week quite a bit of what I was hoping to communicate. So I thought it was worth coming back at this passage, see if I can splice it back together into something useful for us today. First, some additional words, I hope, of encouragement to you who are parenting actively children in your home. And then some words for all of us, whatever age or stage we are in life. So number one, we would say, we often say, if you have kids and you've said this or thought this, how many hundreds of times, how can I make my kids obey? And there's two massive, grievous errors to that statement or that thought. One, it is not your job to make them anything. And two, they're not your kids. So let's come to the heart of parenting according to who God is and what he has done. First, we don't make our kids. Unless you now think that you are the maker. That you had something to, to do with them. Just the other day, we had Freddie, um, Freddie and Ella, six and eight. They like to get measured up against the wall. We were kind of measuring up to a, the light switch because that's a 48-inch height. And you need to be that tall to go on certain rides at Disneyland. So we were measuring all the way up. And it was a great way for a year to try to get my kids to eat healthy. Because when they didn't want to eat healthy and they didn't want to finish their breakfast, I would say, you're not going to grow to that level and you're going to miss out on all the rights. So they ate well. Now, did I have anything to do with that growth? And Freddie just did this the other day and he's about four inches above that light switch and he was barely at it in April. So he could clearly see that growth. I had very little to do with him actually growing. The Lord is growing him. So we don't make our kids anything, even though in desperation times we say, How can I make my kids obey? How can I make them understand? How can I make them love and be kind and compassionate to others? How can I make them successful? How can I make them love God? But that's not our job. God has made them and is making them. If they're going to change at all, it's going to be because he is changing and transforming them just as he is for us. So the best that we can do, just like I was doing with providing healthy, balanced food and hopefully good rest for my kids is to create environments for growing, healthy environments for growing. Back to our greenhouse picture, to create a greenhouse environment. That's the best we can do for our kids. And the image, I think, is pretty pretty clear for us. I hope a healthy, nutritious, relatively safe environment to promote growth with an admittedly thin wall between that space and the world. Now, we as parents would love to make that wall thicker and more secure. But we know we actually can't because they they do need to grow. It needs to be a thin wall. For after all, we expect them to become field ready, don't we? To be planted outside of the greenhouse into the fields for, for fruit and harvest and multiplication and where life and deep roots truly abundantly thrive. So that image works for families and homes as it does for a church because we too are the family of of God. So those are the environments that we're trying to create. For the time being, 
healthy, nurturing, mindful, intentional environments. But only God makes the growth, just like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, doesn't it? We can plant, we can water, but only God makes things grow. So we trust him, we give them back over to him, which leads into number two. They're not your kids. They're his. They're his children. He's entrusted them to you for a time, for a season. To steward, we are called to steward all that God entrusts to us both earthly things and possessions, to places and spaces, to time, energy, emotion, gifts. We're to steward all, to care for it, to be his ambassadors. What does an ambassador do? A good ambassador, if he's going to keep his job, is going to represent the will and word of the master. Or should we say, represent. We've been sent with an authority. We've been given uh, his, his sign of power. But ultimately, it's his. We represent it. We represent his word. That's what we're called to in parenting. We have some authority, but it's limited. We have some ability, but it's limited. The master owns it all. The full responsibility for his purposes. And his purposes are to love and pursue all peoples. To draw all peoples into relationship with himself. That includes our young ones. The ones entrusted to us for a time. So be freed in your parenting. Yes, we have great work to do, significant to the heart of God, that he would entrust these lives and souls to us. But ultimately, we're freed because he's the one who's making them. He takes the full responsibility. So we create environments that he can work most fully in to the best of our ability, knowing it's limited and faulty. But if we truly believe this, would we not Pray more for our kids. Pray more to the Father, the Master, to love and care and transform our children. Likely you pray deeply for your children, maybe more than any other thing or any other person, and yet you know it's still not enough. That prayer to the ultimate Father would continue to grow because he's the one that's going to change hearts. And that's what we need most. We need heart change. That's the only kind of lasting change. And since you and I have no power to change someone else's heart, we once again turn to the only one who can when it comes to our children. There's only one heart that we have any influence over, and that's our own. And so we pray, Lord, transform us as we come to know you more fully. We looked at rule number one last week, really rule number one for all of God's people. Jesus repeated it. What's the most important thing in all of the law, in all of God's communication to his people. What's the most important thing? Jesus quoted from Deuteronomy 6. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Why do you think that rule number one was love the Lord your God with all your heart? Because that's the only one you can do anything about. We, We can't make another love God that way. We can simply point people to the master representing the Father to the best of our ability. If we would come to love God with all our heart, we would know what great parenting looks like. And by the way, Deuteronomy 6, we looked at it last week, it flows right into parenting. It tells you how to teach and train and raise up and how to speak of God's word all the time. But before it ever gets to there, it starts with the love of the Father from our heart in fullness. If we would come to love God with our heart like that, we would see 
great parenting because God is the perfect parent. He is Father. Jesus teaches us that. Now consider for a moment who God is and what he can do. All-powerful, all-knowing, all-sovereign. He can do anything he wants. He can control anything he wants. But what is his way with his children? It's not controlling. It's loving. It's pursuing. It's steadfast. It's unchanging and unwavering. It's abounding in mercy and grace. That's his way as the perfect father. We must reflect him, represent him. If that's the way he chooses to transform hearts and lives and bring his kingdom to bear in the world, shouldn't our parenting look the same for these children that are here his anyway? Parenting is all about the heart, the heart of God the Father transforming our hearts as parents that we could love children more and more like he does. We're so quick to jump to a list of rules. And by the way, there are a bunch of rules in the Bible that show us hopefully how life works best. But apart from the deep love of God and that being rule number one, and really, what did Jesus say? All the other rules hang on this. Every other one. In fact, they, they might just be, it might, might just say that there are ways to articulate rule number one. Ultimately, if we understand the love of God for us and respond to him, all the other things come into line. That's what he teaches. And so we would rightly continue to champion that. We do in our house. There's really one rule. What's the rule? Show love first to God and then to one another. That's the rule. We can make other rules and help you maybe just create guidelines. Guidelines aren't wrong. They're loving. No, don't ride the sled down the stairs. It's loving. Is that mean? Maybe it's mean. When it's self-centered, it is. But when it's a boundary, when it's a guideline, it's helpful to have those kinds of things. But rules, we are so quick to jump to, but we have to understand rules can only change, probably better to say, curb behavior. Rules don't change hearts. Understand, if you've gotten a bunch of compliant, obedient children because you have that list of rules nailed down and there's consequences to it, maybe some rewards too, You've just curbed behavior. You haven't changed hearts. We're after heart change. That we can't do. We need someone else to do that work. If a list of rules, and I did say this last week, if a list of rules were enough to change hearts, Jesus would not have come. If behavior, by our behavior, it was possible to earn our way into heaven, Jesus would not have died. So where rules or guidelines can be helpful we major on heart change, first our own. What we need of more desperately than anything is in our parenting and all of life is a deeper knowledge of the love of God. You read through the Bible, it does speak of parenting, but that's a thick book. It speaks relatively little on parenting, do's and don'ts and how's and why's, but it speaks a whole lot about God our Father loving his children, and how to respond to him in the same way in all that we do. That's what we major on. The love of God the Father. For Paul, there's nothing more important. That's what he's been hammering on throughout the whole letter to the church in Ephesus. He gave his life 
to proclaim the love of God. He literally died that all people, as many as possible, would know the depth of the love of the Father. Ephesians 3, this is his prayer for the church. We rightly receive it as a prayer even for us because we are in the same lineage of the church, which was his mission from the beginning. It was a generational mission until Jesus would come back. So we too can receive this prayer as if Paul was praying for us with that same forethought of how vital it is. Ephesians 3.14 For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of His glory He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's Paul's heart, centered on the love of the Father. This is part of our, part of our 2020 vision is to pray more. Let's pray more like this, that we would know the love of God and how he has loved us. It's Really the prayer, I prayed it already for our kids this morning. It's my prayer for my kids every night and throughout the day. Jesus, teach us to love you more and more every day because you have loved us so much. And then sometimes I'll add and teach us to love others as you do. I'm convinced that there is nothing more important for our kids, for our family, our families, Therefore, for the church, nothing more important for a community, a country, a nation, a world, than to know the love of the Father for us. I don't believe there's anything more vital. Paul didn't. Jesus didn't. May we know the love of the Father God. For if you as a parent truly knew the depth of God's love for you, then your identity and your purpose would not be sought in something else, anything else in this context, namely your children. How many of us as parents, and if it, we can easily look into our, into our contexts and see others who this applies to. Maybe we'd be humble enough to look inward. How many of us as parents are trying to gain something from our children that fulfills what is a longing, what is missing? As if their praise for us, let's be honest, their worship of us would complete us. Now, if we're a little more mature than that, then we might say, but I do want my kids, by their good behavior and their high achievements, to do well. But won't that reflect on you so that you can have the admiration, the affirmation, the recognition of good children who lived well and succeeded because after all, they came from you and were raised by you. Some of us go even further because of our shortcomings and failures in life. We live with a sense of regret. And if our kids, we kind of say it like, I don't want them to make the same mistakes. But probably within that is, I want to live through their success. Maybe that will fulfill that ache and that longing of that regret if I see my kids triumph where I failed. 
If we parent in any of these ways, we are laying upon our children a weight that will crush them. Because of the sin within us that doesn't turn to God the Father for our fulfillment and satisfaction and identity in all things as He has declared, but turns to find it somewhere else. That is the definition of sin. Turning away from God the Father, the source of life, to any other pursuit. And we will crush our kids by it. We must deeply know the love of God. It will transform our parenting. If we as a parent truly knew the depth of God's love, which abounds in grace, it's expressed probably most greatly in grace, we would be freed to not have to be perfect parents. Let me ask you parents who have children in the home and even as grown children, how regularly are they hearing from you, not just apology? Some of us don't even say, I'm sorry to our children. Go beyond that to asking for their forgiveness. Confessing that you have sinned against them by not loving them the way God the Father has. If that is not regular, you are teaching them. You're teaching them that at some point they will not also need to confess sin and say, I'm sorry. Because they know that you have shortcomings and mistakes and faults. And so they'll just assume that once they grow up, they'll no longer need to say, I'm sorry. How often do you say, tell your sister you're sorry. You need to say you're sorry to me. And they know that we don't. So one of two things is going to happen. Either they believe they'll eventually not have to as they grow up. Or that by their perfect behavior, eventually they won't need to. They'll no longer need the grace and mercy of God their Father. There may not be anything more practically vital in parenting than to our kids regularly admitting and confessing our shortcomings, our faults. I didn't love you well. I failed in that. Would you forgive me? And they may not know how. They'll probably be quickly ready to. But teaching that, modeling that is so vital. It points everything back to God the Father and His grace that is still at work in us. If you want any hope of your children coming to you when they fail, when they mess up, when they sin, when they really get in it, especially as they get older and grown, you better model this now with young children because they know the depth of God's grace and love for you that they can come to you with anything because that's going to be your response to them is grace and love as the Father does. If a child... And this could apply to any of us at any stage. But if a child could truly know the depth of God's love for them, their their identity and purpose would be fulfilled and satisfied in Him and not in any other thing. Just as we've been talking about for any one of us. But as a child, as they grow, they're so quick to push and to run and to rebel against any boundaries and guidelines, believing, listening to the lies of our culture, that true love is boundless does not restrain or constrain, that that's where true love is found, and it is not. True love is found in God the Father. When they are free to live the life that He's created them to live, I've come to give life, Jesus said, life abundantly in me, in knowing your Father. That's where purpose and identity is. It will not need to be found in any other thing. 
And if a child could truly know the depth of God's love for them, even though he knows everything they've ever done, everything they've ever thought, and yet receives them and pours out his grace upon them, then that child will not need to win the approval of any other person, of any other figure, especially a mom or a dad. In fact, that child will be able to come to see the imperfections of their own parents, the faults of their own parents, and forgive and bless because they've already received the full love, grace, affirmation, and approval of God himself who has made them and is making them. Something I cut out last week as my voice was cutting out was the recognition that every one of us grew up with imperfect parents. Some of you grew up with much more than that. With absent parents, aloof, distant, harsh, abrasive, or abusive. And so coming to God as Father is very difficult. Especially if your father was any of those things. Father is like a dirty word. We don't measure the goodness of our earthly dads. We don't measure God the Father by our earthly dads. They are measured against our Heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Father is the one who is perfect, whose arms are open wide, as we sang about already this morning, always. The picture of when that prodigal son runs away and squanders everything and comes back, the Father doesn't just wait upon his throne with arms crossed. He's actually looking And he runs and he embraces. It's one of the primary pictures Jesus wanted to teach us of who our Father is. Because every one of us has run. And so as we come to him, he's the perfect Father that we always longed for. He has perfect love, perfect affirmation. He knows you better than anyone ever could, better than yourself. And he welcomes you. He embraces you. He forgives you. He loves you. Measure earthly dads against that, and we all fall short. And the difference between us isn't that great compared to the greatness of our Heavenly Father. We come to Him. And God, your Father, knows the family He's put you into. And He both weeps for the shortcomings of parents, and He is righteously angry at the way they sin against His children. We can come to do what Jesus himself did, even on the cross. He entrusted himself to his heavenly Father, the one who judges justly. So even if we have been raised by this kind of an earthly father, we can come to a place of forgiveness. We can choose to break the bondage of bitterness that we may hold on to because of the grace that has been poured out in abundance through Jesus Christ. We can then turn to forgive and to bless only by the power of the Spirit at work within us, asking that God would continue, if possible, if there's time for an earthly dad who doesn't love him, to draw even that one to himself by his grace and mercy. God's grace runs that deep. His incredible grace extends to you, parents, who maybe now have much older kids, Grown kids, and you feel like I've totally blown it. 
I never parented like this. I parented my way. I, I was harsh. I was abusive in some ways. I was abrasive. I was distant or I just wasn't consistent. Any number of ways that we fall short and you feel like I, I, there's no time. My kids are grown. You might be amazed at even now if there's opportunity to go to your grown kids if there's something specific or if you have never confessed sin to them as you are growing in faith in Christ to say how deeply you are sorry, how much you love them, how much you now want to pray for them and restore and redeem what has been lost, knowing that God, their Father, their eternal Father, is the perfect one. You may be surprised at that humility and the healing that could come from that gesture. It's never too late to give ourselves wholeheartedly to the work of family, as sons and daughters, as fathers and mothers. Which that leads me into the second part of this, that there are words for all of us, whether we're actively raising children or not. We have a role in the family. We have a role in God's family. And we can even take parenting-type roles, whether we have our own kids or not, because the family value is so significant for God. There may not be anything closer to his heart. When he says, honor your father and mother that you may enjoy long days in the land, there's a promise to that because it reflects him. It's his character. He is the father. We know Jesus is the son. He teaches us what that relationship looks like. We as the church are called the family. The body, talking about intimate relationship, the body with the head being Jesus. We're called brothers and sisters. That's common vernacular by the New Testament writers. We're even co-heirs with Christ of all that God the Father will give. That's an incredible thought. Out of the abundance of his riches and his mercy, he pours out even to us. We are co-heirs. Why? How is that even possible? Because we have been adopted into his family. Language that Paul uses extensively, especially in chapter 1 of Ephesians. We've been adopted in. We've been called back. We're not only his children, we're also adopted. We're chosen, chosen twice. The family value for God is so close to his heart. It's a big deal. It always struck me, maybe this will illustrate the point, as strange in the infamous Romans chapter 1, when Paul writes a list of really grievous sins, things that are so contrary to the heart and character of God, because God actually gives these these people over to their sins. And then they, it expresses itself like this. And, and right in the middle of this list, you'll hear one to, that is always, was always striking to me. Let me just read this list. Try to okay, just grip the pew in front of you and hold on. These people were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. This is Romans one twenty nine. This unrighteousness was evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. They are foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decrees, 
that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. You ever read through that passage and did that jump out to you too? Wait, right in, the, right in that? Because you're kind of like, you're kind of going, yeah, I don't really do any of those things. And then it's disobedient to parent. What? That gets got to be a mistake. Well, the only thing that makes sense is that to dishonor parents, because that's how this passage begins in Ephesians. It's how the, the commandment began in, in, in Exodus 20. Honor your father and mother. Children obey. That to do the opposite, to dishonor, is to mar the image and intention of God as father. Because we are to represent him. That's the only thing that makes sense in this list. Because every one of us has disobeyed parents again and again and again. And again, this isn't about a list of rules and behavior that we can, oh, then correct and okay, now we're good. It's to point us and remind us of the heart of God and how deeply he cares for family. So we have a response to that, to carry this extreme value. I think as a church, we have done well. We've always held family high, both relationships and then families with children. We continue to invest into families, to pray for you, to try to come alongside you in your discipling. I think we've done well, and yet I think we've got a long ways to go. I think we must always be growing and striving in this area of family to represent God our Father as His children. Now, you may not have kids. You may have grown kids. doesn't matter. We've got work to do. I'm grateful that we are chronologically diverse as a community. Praying that we grow in all areas of diversity, diverse fruit. But we are chronologically diverse from Mothers with young babies, babies in the womb, to great-great-grandmothers, and everywhere in between. By the way, that's a sign of health of a family, of a church. If you ever find yourself needing to find a new church family, look around at that diversity. Because it's reflecting the active work of God in all ways, I believe. So I'm very thankful of that diversity. I think we need to grow in our care for children. Two simple things, simple but not easy. You're used to that by now, right? See and serve. See, and we can apply this in all ways. See those that you might naturally overlook or certainly are overlooked by our community, our culture, our world. Those are their marginalized and the oppressed. And I could preach any number of messages on those groups of peoples. This one with our kids. Our kids are overlooked, they are marginalized. They can also be idolized, but they're often marginalized. Not as maybe significant as in previous generations, certainly in the era that Paul was writing this. They were dismissed, overlooked, ignored, quieted, silenced. I don't think we do that. But we can overlook. And I'm not saying overlook by because of their stature we overlook them. I'm saying we overlook them because they're different. They think differently. They process differently. They act differently. And so connecting with them is different difficult because we're not quite sure how to do that so we overlook them we pass we brush and what i'm asking you is to see them see them as god's children as souls as the next generation of leaders and ambassadors for the king see them and engage them welcome them invite them might not last long it might be awkward it might be quirky 
Invite them for a com- into a conversation. Ask them questions. Welcome them. Then, by this kind of work that we do as a family, when there comes time for correction, because that'll come, you've built rapport. You've built a relationship of love that then can correct. Truth and love are meant to be together. And so then you can say, hey, 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 slow, slow down. Let's slow down. There's a lot of people here. And there's some people that could get hurt if they were bumped and were to fall. Let's show love by slowing down. Let's show love and let others go first. So when it comes time to some correction, and we all need it, especially our, our kids, don't shy from shepherding. I think we shy from shepherding because we haven't done the first step of seeing and welcoming and building relationships. And maybe as we do this, we will grow to be more like Jesus. This was the way of Jesus. Let me read a couple passages from Mark. Mark 10, 13. So they were bringing little children to Jesus that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant that they would do that. Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. Hear this. For to such as these belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them. And he laid his hands upon them. One chapter earlier, Mark 9, 35, sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said to them, if anyone wants to be first, you want to be first, you want to be great, you must be last, you must serve, be a servant of all. He took a little child and had him stand among them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not only welcome me, but welcomes the one who sent me. Jesus saw children, unlike probably any other rabbi, which is probably why they flocked to him. It seems that they they came to him, they jumped into his arms. Here's a a young man of 30. Now we have to, one culture is a little different today, I understand. But a young man of 30 with no kids of his own, grew up in a home with a lot of younger brothers and sisters, so he could have had the opposite response. Man, I am done with that. Glad I'm a man now. I don't have to deal with all these kids. But he continues. In fact, he elevates them. He honors them. He serves them. He welcomes them. And they seem to love it. They jump into his arms. And it would rightly convict us that if we are not spending time with little children who are not our own or our grandkids, we are not following all the ways of Jesus. And if our very core response to God the Father is to be disciples, followers of Jesus. And we want more Jesus, don't we? Isn't part of our our, our longing always and hopefully 2020 vision is more of Jesus, to know him more fully and more deeply, to follow him more faithfully, to follow all the ways of Jesus. Maybe we're not looking in all of the right places. You say, I can't do it. I, I don't know how. I don't... You can't sit on the floor in the toddler room? Well, maybe some of you can. But most of us are thinking, I wouldn't know how to teach. I don't know how to interact. I don't know how to manage. It's like herding cats and frogs. Yeah, it is. 
And some are each, sometimes so. But you can help. I love watching your elder Phil as he's on the floor in the toddler room. Just The kids just jump on him and climb on him. Because he's at their level. He's doing what Jesus would have done. And he welcomes them. Now, um, today's your lucky day. Our ministry to children here will welcome you. Now, we often say, we could really use your help. We've got some gaps and some needs and teachers and caregivers. Maybe we should say, you need our kids' help. Are you 100% sure you know what Jesus meant when he said, whoever, if, unless you receive the kingdom like this little child, you, you will not enter into it. Are you 100% sure you know what he means by that? If there's any doubt, you need to spend some more time with little children. And imagine that we could actually, what Jesus says here is you see that, that act of parenting, that act of being present with children, that act of welcoming, seeing, loving, serving. I am right there in the middle of that. That's where I am. And not just me, but the Father is there. That by doing this, we could welcome the presence of God himself is that not what Jesus is saying? Is he just saying, yeah, I mean, I'm there in that, you know, in heart. Or do we believe in an active Holy Spirit who is actually present in those moments? You want more of Jesus. You want more of the Holy Spirit. It may be found in a more unlikely place than we thought. By simply being on the floor in the toddler room. Or welcoming children in any capacity that he calls us to. So I invite you. You've got that card? Because if I said, now grab a card and fill it out, and then others would see that you're being convicted right now, and that would be awkward. That you would actually respond and say, I'm not sure if I can help. How can I help? I would ask you to commit to one Sunday a month for six months and see if anything transforms in your life and your followership of Jesus. Because I believe wholeheartedly it will. That may not be your primary gifting. It may not be your long-term ministry. But if you don't serve with little children, I believe you are missing the ways of Jesus. And I do not want that for you. So I invite you. If you really can't, and there's other reasons, then pray for how you can do that in various contexts, to be the family of God and to represent him in every way. So you can put your name on a, a card and Jenna will be in touch with you. She'll probably already be pursuing you anyway. So we are lockstep, but maybe you could make it easier for her. And she'll let you know what, what needs to be done or where you could fit. Let me finish with this. This being our call to worship. And I'll invite the team to come lead us in response this is Deuteronomy 6, 4 and following. We read it last week. It's really the seminal passage for all of God's people known as the Shema. And they would recite it all the time. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. Understand that this is a community that is being spoken to. This is a communal promise first and then for individual families. 
Raise up the little children in your community. That's for all of us. You shall talk of all of these words of the law when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, even on the toddler room floor and get mauled by two-year-olds. And when you rise up, if you can rise up again with all your joints creaking. So I added a couple things. Let's rise up now. How about that? Rise up. Let's stand. Let's respond to God's word, his character, his heart, and his promise. Let me pray for us. Thank you, God, the Father, our Father, for making us children. You first have knit us together in our mother's womb, and you have loved and pursued us, rescued us, and adopted us as your sons and daughters. Bring us to a whole new understanding of the depth of your love that we might love you more and more and love others like you do. Teach us to see and to serve the little children whom you love. Teach us to welcome them and therefore welcome your very presence. And right now we pray that, Lord. We welcome your presence here. We need you, Lord Jesus, more and more. Be welcomed in our midst and have your reign in our lives. For your glory and our joy, we pray. Amen.